Well, I am here to testify to you today that God is alive, man, and God is doing things, and uh, that, that's pretty awesome. So uh, praise God for that. Uh, actually, even this morning's message, here, here's kind of how my week usually goes. Um, you guys know we're preaching through books of the Bible. We've been in Ephesians, and we kind of take a chunk at a time, however far God wants us to go. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, so I, I know where we're preaching next. I studied through all of that. And I get the chunk God wants me, and I start going through it and going through it, take all my notes. And then on Saturday nights, any of you who've ever, uh, if, if, you're, if you're on Facebook, Saturday nights is where I kind of take all the kind of notes from some of the different commentaries and things that have really hit home with me. And I kind of throw those out there at that point on Saturday night, just to get my thoughts all together. And uh, it's usually where God kind of puts everything finally together. And, you know, it's, I kind of got it together, but Saturday night when I have all those thoughts and then God really just draws it all together. And then Sunday morning, I preach it to myself again. I get up in the, early in the morning. I start preaching through the message on a Sunday's morning's message before I even come in here. And, um, and, and God gives me a piece about things. And then I'm ready because I don't ever want to get up here and give you something that God did not give me for you specifically. That's my, that's my job. That's my calling. That's my passion is to be able to communicate scripture in a way that people can understand it, remember it, and apply it to their lives. Because if you apply it to your life, you're going to share it with others. And so I've always got to have what God wants. Now, I know that, uh, so I was so excited. I was so excited. Karen even texted me all the time and said, how do you feel about the outline? Because I'd sent it out and I was like, yes, man, I am so stoked. We're getting ready to hit a section of scripture in Ephesians 5 on submission, which, man, it just leaves such a sour taste in everybody's mouth because we have so, that's what the world wants to do with the word of God. They want, he wants, the devil wants to, to use this world system to make us hate God's word instead of seeing the value of it. So I was really super excited for the outline God had given me. And, 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 and here's a little spoiler alert. In this outline, uh, it, it was from the perspective that when he says wives submit, or he says, you know, uh, children obey, workers obey, when he went into all that, you know, when you get the chance to submit or obey when you're in that position, you get to show the world, you get to show the world what the, how the church loves Christ. You get that? So when you get to submit, you get to obey, you get to show the world how the church loves Christ because we submit to him as a head. And when you are put in a position of authority, you get to show the world how Christ actually loves the church. And I'm so excited to preach that. And so last night I went to bed like, all right, God, this is pretty cool. I've never really quite seen it from that perspective, but it's it's biblical. And, and man, I don't care which position I'm in in any particular situation. Dude, I want to show the, the world how the church loves Christ. How many of y'all love Christ as a church? How many of y'all are glad that he's the head? How many of y'all are glad you're not in charge of this mess? And you're not going to be held accountable for all of this. And you just have to submit. How many of y'all dig that? Yeah. So that submission part is not being barefoot, pregnant, and chained to a sink. All right? I'm just saying. And with the way the world wants to portray that, you know? And, and so how many of you know how much Christ loves you as the church? His love for you is perfect. So what does that mean? Hey, Thomas, if his love for you is perfect... Can Christ love you any more than he loves you right now? Can he love you any less? What if you just totally mess up like you did this morning? You didn't think I was looking at your window, did you? No, I'm just messing with you. But what if you just totally messed up, blew it, whatever? Does his, his, his love for you change? No, and the more we understand that, 
of his love for us as the church, man, when you find out someone really loves you, what do you do back? You love them. We, it, 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 Christ loved us first. That's how we fell in love with him. And the more we find out about how much he loves us, the more we fall in love with him. So man, I, you can imagine my excitement going to bed last night. And then some of y'all were looking on my Facebook post. Oh, dude, that's good. That's, and I'm like, yeah, I know. I didn't come up with it. That's why I'm giving credit to whoever wrote it because it's awesome. And so this morning I get up, I'm like, all right, <clears throat> here we go. And I start going through it and it was blank. And, and, and I will be 60 this time next week. All right. But I'm like <clears throat> going through it and it's like, I was drawing blanks. I'm like, God, I can't preach this. God, what are we doing with this? And I'm, 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 I'm I had my outline already. So I go back through my outline. It's like, duh. And it was like, all right, God, what do you want to do? And I got on my face before God. And he's like, yeah, I want you to say that for next week. So if you were looking forward to that, next week is the week, man. And that's not just trying to, you know, it's not like clickbait trying to get you to come back or nothing like that. But it's literally, man, I don't, I don't know what God's doing. And that's not my job to know what God's doing. My job is to do what he wants me to do in this. So I'm like, all right, God, it is now 8 o'clock in the morning, all right? I know JJ and them are trying to figure out how to, you know, they're setting everything up. And I've already, JJ's probably got the outline. Ashley, I called JJ, and I'm like, hey, JJ, hey, you think you can pull off some PowerPoint for me this morning? <laughs> it is at 8 o'clock. And, and I said, yeah, and I'd like a really cool graphic, you know, where you have this little chart that changes, if it's possible. And he's like, well, I haven't really even seen the the, email, the text yet. Ashley, at that point, was walking up. I'm, showing, I'm like, with or without it, I, this is what I have to preach. And what I'm preaching on this morning is, is, is something that you, have, if you've spent any time with me, you've heard me allude to. You have seen you have seen me use it out on sandbars. I've drawn it out out there. I've done it with you. God gave it to me when I was a youth pastor back in the uh, mid-90s on, on how to make godly decisions and why that is so important. And I'm going to tell you, if you know it, if you already know it, don't fall asleep. Learn it so you can preach it. Because there's a chance that today you're going to have to help somebody make some decisions. You're going to have to help somebody see life from God's perspective. And this is probably one of the most valuable things, teaching tools God has ever given me. I didn't come up with it. Y'all know I ain't the sharpest marble in the box, and I couldn't do that. God gave it to me long, long time ago. And, and people who are you have been using it. I got kids in their 40s. They're not kids no more, are they? But kids in their mid-40s that are still carrying around my card in their wallet. And so in this, I know some of y'all have seen this, some of y'all haven't, but regardless, my job is not to entertain you and give you new subject matter. That is not my job as your pastor. My job is to give you what God gave me to give you who he knew would be here. And that's what we're going to do today. So why is it important that we make decisions? You guys have seen these colors around, right? And this is how we share the gospel. This is also how we are reminded as to what is truly important in life. And the very first thing you see here is the gold. And the gold reminds us of the streets of heaven. And so let me ask you a question. Where is our home? It's in heaven, y'all. That's our home. We cannot lose sight of that. That's why I keep these colors around. I keep them on my paddleboard. I keep these stickers around. I keep them wherever I can see them, on our shirts, on whatever. So I don't lose sight of the fact that my home is heaven. This is not my home. If this was my home... Man, I would have a hard time getting comfortable in it, amen? And, and anytime you try to make it your home, it's going to be difficult, but heaven's my home. Dude, guess what, guys? How many of y'all are believers and you know heaven's your home? You know that? Check this out. I'm not going to preach it on the whole thing again, but I've been 
this is what God's really been bringing home to me lately. As I get maybe a little discouraged with this world, or as I get, I, how many of y'all are a little confused by this world? You know, or you're like, what next? <laughs> well, what else could go, you know, whatever. But in this, dude, for us, when, uh, first of all, where's, where's Al at? Al, I always, Al, raise your hand. Where's Al at? Do you go downstairs with the kids? All right, well, Al, I'm just going to give this to all of y'all. But for Al, I tell them, him this every single time he goes to Haiti. I tell him, I say, Al, I said, you are immortal until God's done with you. <laughs> you are immortal until God is done with you. And if you're a believer, you're immortal until God's done with you. You are not, not, God knows everything about the day you're born, everything about the day you die. God has all of that all planned out and it's all under his control. If you're supposed to die, no army in the world can protect you. If you're supposed to live, no army in the world can take you out. The best place and the only place you need to be is right where God wants you at all times, at all places. And when he's done with you here, the gold reminds us where our home is, which is heaven. Heaven is your home. That is where, man, so guess what? If heaven's your home, as soon as Christ is done with all of us, as soon as he's done with you, when he's done with all of us, there's a rapture. Again, I'm not preaching all this. I just, this is what he's been reminding me. You know what's next for me? Seven years of, of a honeymoon. Seven years of a wedding. And some of you who hate weddings, that's because y'all ain't been to the right one yet. I'm just saying, man, the best wedding you could ever be at, the best food, Kevin, the best thing. Seven years, we're going to have a seven-year marriage with him. Is that not awesome? What have y'all been doing for seven years? Gavin, seven years. Can you even think of, has, have you had a perfect seven years? No, not a perfect. I've seen your boat escapades. You haven't had a perfect seven years. And your boat looks awesome, by the way. Anybody here had a perfect seven years? Have you been in a coma? <laughs> I'm just saying, we have not had a perfect seven. We're going to have a perfect seven years. As soon as that's over, what do we have next, guys? How many years? A thousand years on a perfect planet with a perfect body. And again, none of us have ever experienced a perfect planet and a perfect body, have we? And especially, how many of y'all woke up this morning and said, I am not in a perfect planet and I am not in a perfect body? Anybody had that realization today? Yeah. It's, it's not, but we're going to have seven years with Christ as the bride of Christ. He, we're his bride and, and, and he's our groom. Then we have a thousand years on a perfect planet with a perfect body. And then after that, at the end of that, I don't really, I'm not talking about what the devil's doing and what's going on there. I'm just talking about us. Seven years, a thousand years. I mean, how many of y'all are like, all right, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then after that, we have eternity with a perfect, a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Just wait. That's what I preached on last time I was here. Just wait. That's what we've got going on. So man, don't forget, that's what's next. Just wait. I was thinking, how many of y'all have been on a boat with me and my dog? Anybody been on a boat with my dog? All right. As soon as we get away from the boat ramp, and as soon as we get going, Ashley, what is Leah trying to doing? She's barking. Why? Because Leah is trying to let me know with her super sensitive olfactory system. Did I say that right? With, with her nose, I think each nostril can smell something different. That's how technical she is as a hunting dog. She smells sandbars. She smells islands that she has run on and done all kinds of things on. She smells them. And she's on the front of the boat. And she's there with her claws. And everybody on the front of my, Barb, Barb, she's on the front of the boat. Barb, you're up there. What does everybody try to do? They think she's going to do what? She's going to jump because she's on the front of the boat. 
ready to jump. She's like, Ugh! she just can't wait to jump. But you see the, the inlet ripping in and ripping out with dirty water, shark-infested water, man. That's like the world. If she jumped out before we got to the island, would that be good or bad? Bad. And that's us when we can't wait to get to where God wants us to go. We jump and we get in. Any of y'all ever jumped out of the boat and gotten a mess? I'm talking about in the world. You jumped out of God. You jumped out of his system. You're like, oh, I need some satisfaction now. And it's like jumping in. And then now we got to stop the boat. Everyone in the boat who hates the dog is like, oh, I knew she was going to do that. I should have grabbed her. And I got to grab her and, you know, and hope that nobody, you know, has like video playing and send me into the humane society or whatever, or PETA or something. But anyways, it, it creates a mess if she would just wait. But she's there and she's there. And what happens, Barb, as soon as we get to the island, I say, go. Dude, she's off and she's running and she's enjoying herself. That's us. God was showing me that on the boat just recently. We just got to wait till God says, go. Till God says, it's time. And we've got plenty to do on the boat. Barb, I'm just, uh, you're just coming up because you're Leah's buddy on the boat, right? So if Leah's not busy doing that, what is Leah busy doing on the boat? Oh, kissing you. Yes. We, exactly. We have pictures of y'all kissing on the lips, actually. I'm just saying, you love dogs. But yeah, so there's plenty of great things for Leah to do on the boat. Like there's plenty of great things for you to do here on this planet right now. Just wait. The great things aren't jumping off the boat and having God continually rescue you and bring you back in. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, as a dog returns to his vomit, a fool returns to his folly, right? And so, man, don't keep jumping off into the world and then coming back and having God rescue you. Instead, stay on the boat and figure out what God's got you here for. So again, we start off with knowing my home is heaven. That's crucial. I stay on the boat. This is where God has me. I stay on it until it's time for me to get off and I've got a home in heaven. Jack, can you imagine a perfect earth? A perfect earth. I don't think you're gonna need a gun to take an animal, man. Yeah, dude, you're going to, yeah, perfect body, man. Yeah, you're going to chase them down. You're going to be playing tag with elephants ah, and whatever. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be perfect. Heaven. So now that's heaven. But in this, this, it hadn't always been so. This black represents sin in my life. And I have sin in, I had sin in my life that I couldn't cover up. I couldn't get rid of. I couldn't get rid of it. And, and there was nothing I could do about it. And sin causes death. Sin, every time we sin, it kills something. It kills our dreams. It kills our hopes. Every time we jump off the boat into the water, something happens. Something's dead. The progress is dead, the whatever. And so, man, I couldn't do anything about it, but the red represents the only thing that could cover my sin and take it away, which is the blood of who? Jesus Christ. That's it. Period. So, my home's heaven. Black represents the fact that it wasn't always so. Um, but when Jesus came into my life, when Jesus gave me the desire and ability to surrender my life to him at that point in time, in that perfect Greek tense, when I put my faith and trust in him, it had everlasting results. I became a born again believer. He changed me. And in the future, he already sees the future when I'm going to be like him. But how many of y'all know as a believer right now, you're not quite like him yet in your actions, right? 
We're in a process called sanctification, but no, man, he's going to be faithful to complete what he promised he's going to complete. You are going to be exactly like him one day. Right now, you're not. But we have the ability and to stay on the boat and do what he wants us to do. So if my home is heaven, and that's a guaranteed deal, why did he leave me here? How many of y'all think it would have been a really great idea to go to heaven the minute you get saved? How many of y'all think that would have been pretty cool? Anyone? Nobody? Yeah, are you, yeah, yeah. there's a selfish person right there. No, I'm just messing with you. They all knew I was going to be. Yeah, yeah if, for, from a selfish perspective, it had been awesome to go to heaven, right? But how many of you had somebody else lead you to Christ who knew Christ? That's the plan. For us personally, it'd be awesome to go to heaven. I'm saved, yep, gone. But the fact is, the green, it represents why we're left here. Green represents growth. God's purpose for leaving us here is to grow more in love with him so we can grow more in love with others. And as the only way for us to grow in love is to grow in love with him. When we love him, he causes us to love others. That's how you know. First John, dude, you're like, oh, I love God, but I hate people. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't love God. I'm sorry. You got a wrong definition of love. God says, if you don't love others, especially believers, Man, you don't love God. You can judge your love for God by how much you actually love other people, especially believers. That's First John. You can read that on your own. So in this, man, he left us here to grow more in love with him, to see life from his perspective, and then be able to show others life from his perspective. That's why you're here right now. Man, it, it, you got, it, it, to grow, you got to go through some tough things, don't you? You have to go through some situations that are beyond your capability, beyond your resources, beyond your faith, so that you can ask God for this faith and he can give it to you and you actually grow in your faith and in your trust and your relationship with him. In fact, in Hebrews, you've heard me say a bunch of times, without faith, it is impossible to please God. To please God, you, have, you, you can only please him through faith. So that means you have to have situations that require faith. In order to have situations that require faith, you have to have situations you can't handle on your own, and, and God has to give them to you. So God gives you those tough situations in life, not so you say, oh, God, take them away. He gives you those situations so you can ask him for the faith, and you can apply it to your life, and you can please him, and you grow more in love with him, and you represent him. And the way we do that is through decisions. This is why we make right decisions, not because God's got a giant fly swatter. When you make the wrong with Scott, aren't you glad God doesn't have a Scott-sized fly swatter? Dude, Scott, you messed up, you know, and he gave it to your wife, Cora, <laughs> right? Here, Cora, your purpose in life, and that we'll see it next week in the whole submission part. The purpose in life is not to whack your spouse, all right? That's, that, that, that's, that's not how he works it all out. But JJ, which button do I push? I push. Do I push this one? Okay. So life is full of decisions, right? How many of y'all got to make a decision right now? Yes. Raise your hand. You got to make a decision right now because here's your decision right now. Okay. I can have lights on and nobody home and act like Pastor Eddie. I'm looking at Pastor Eddie and paying attention to him. How many of y'all know how to do that? How many of y'all also know that I can see right through it? I'm going to call on you. And when I call on you, Gavin, what's the answer? God. <laughs> All right. Because we're doing all this together, man. We're, we're at the dinner table right now, eating some soul food. Amen. It's always got to be about eating, right? And so I'm trying to fit, I'm fitting this into my mouth right now. But so, so in this, 
um, we got decisions to make. Am I going to pay? Because I'm telling you right now, God changed my message. I was really excited to preach the other message. I'm not that excited. No, I'm, you guys, I'm excited to preach this because I know this is what God has given me for you. So you have a choice to say, well, all right, well, I already kind of know it, but as y'all know, I don't have notes. I may say something I never said before. How many of y'all know I am capable of saying something I have never said before? <laughs> right, Gary? Yeah, that's why my wife cringes in the back all the time, all right? But anyways, life is full of decisions. So I would suggest that as we complete this little tic-tac-toe board thing, take your, your, your camera. I, I was going to call it a phone. How stupid. It's not a phone, is it? When's the last time you actually talked to somebody on the thing, right? You text, you take pictures, you check the weather. Yeah. How many of y'all have not used your phone as a phone in a long time? How many of y'all even get upset when people call you? Like, hey, dude, you didn't email me so that you could get permission to text me. So you got permission to call me, did you? No. <laughs> it's like, anyways, life is full of decisions and you got to make some right now. Always we're making decisions. And the importance is your purpose on this planet is to make the right decision so you can show the world who Christ is. That's your purpose right now. And again, God's not whacking with a fly swatter. It's going to be good for us. God, that's how we bring God, God glory. That's how we please him, by making those right decisions through faith, because those right decisions are not always easy, as we're going to see. But life is full of decisions. So if you would, if you're taking notes, if you take your camera, man, take a snapshot, especially of the screen with this uh, little tic-tac-toe thing, because I'm telling you, you're going to have a chance to apply this. And beyond that, you're also going to have an opportunity to teach others about this too. Somebody somewhere is going to need to hear this today from you or tomorrow or another day. You're gonna, it's, it's, it's relevant because right now the world is calling us to make decisions. We've got a lot of decisions. Uh, how about your gas tank? Ooh, am I going to fill my gas tank up and max out my credit card? Or am I just going to let this little light shine, right? <laughs> you know, a little gasoline. <laughs> and I'll just deal with the consequences later. You know, so in this, all right, check this out. So the D up in the top, you can actually just draw a tic-tac-toe thing if you want, but up in the top left corner is a D. D stands for what? Decisions. You have decisions to make. And with every decision that you can make, there is a W wrong decision and there is an R a right decision. All right. So write those in there. So D stands for, W stands for, and R stands for right decision, all right? I mean, you agree? Every decision you make, there's a wrong, a right decision and a wrong decision. Oh, no, pastor, where's the place for the gray decisions? <laughs> the gray areas. Y'all know about gray areas? How many of y'all have a lot more gray areas than you have right and wrong decisions? Yeah, you got a lot of gray areas. You know what gray areas are? Let me ask you a question. Do gray areas start, if you're going to make gray, oh, Michael Ann. Michelangelo, I like to call her. <laughs> She's an artist, by the way, pretty famous artist around here, doing awesome stuff, man, beautiful, beautiful paintings, and it's all for God's glory, and God is giving her opportunities to glorify him in that way. Hey, if you're going to make gray, do you start with black? Well, do you start with a bunch of black, or would you start with a bunch of white? Which would be a... Okay, I, yeah, because you're an artist. Now, there's some rookies that may start with black, right? But if you start with black, dude, you've got to add a lot of white to that, right? But if you start with white, how much black do you have to add to make gray? Not very much. 
You see, the devil would love us to have a lot of gray areas in our life. The world system would like us to have a lot of gray areas. Your unsafe friends would like you to have a lot of gray areas in your life because then it's up to me. I get to choose what's right. I get to choose what's wrong. Well, this isn't really, no, you know what a gray area is nine times out of 10? It's an area of your life where you know what's right, but you don't want to do it. So what do you do? You justify things. You justify it. And and Proverbs tells us we can justify anything. You see, you have a heart that decides what it wants, and you have emotions that that kind of dictate your heart for somebody. How many of y'all are dictated by, how many of y'all are emotional people? And you'd say your, 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 your gut kind of helps you decide what you want a lot of times. And then there's other people who, how many of y'all would say you're intellectual and your thinking helps dictate, you know? We have both of those, okay? We have a heart that makes a decision on what we want to do. Anybody have your heart set on something, right? Your heart's set on something? Well, guess what? Oh, I feel like this is the right thing to do. Your emotions, I feel, I feel, I feel. And then your mind is so incredible, it helps tell your heart. You help figure out how to get your heart, your heart's desire. And your mind puts it all. That's why when we study the armor of God at the end of Ephesians here, dude, um, when we do that, you're going to see what we're going to have protected is your mind your heart where you make decisions, and your emotions. That's what he covers right there. It's all got to be covered by the word of God with the truth. Because some of us are more gut people. Some of us are more intellectual people. Not us, but some of y'all are more intellectual people. But the bottom line is we all got a heart. And once our heart's set on something, dude, that's what we want, isn't it? Y'all ever have your heart set on something wrong? And you know it's wrong, but yet either through your emotions or your mind, you try to figure it out and you try to work through it, that's what gray is. That's literally what gray is. We know something's wrong, but yet we want to make it right. We take white, we take the right pure thing, and we add a little bit of darkness to it. And if I only add a little bit, and I'm okay with that, I have a light gray, but it's still not pure white. But it's not pure black. But God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. He's not a gray God. And so with every decision, there's a right decision and a wrong decision uh, in there. Uh, are we going, am I going backwards here? No. With every decision, there's a right decision and there is a wrong decision. Listen with me, if you will, at uh, Galatians. This is all going to be from Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. And um, the outline I gave JJ was out of the New King James, which you can look at any of them. But the very beginning, look at verse 7a. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Hey, what does it mean to be deceived? Help me out, y'all. And what does it mean to be deceived? If Bob is deceived, no, that's not fair. What does it mean to be deceived? A false impression. What do I have right here? Yeah, misled, you know. And, and let me ask you a question. If you're deceived, do you know you're deceived? No, that's why you have somebody help you who will say, hey, you're being deceived. And they got to have some proof somehow, man, to show you that you're being deceived. So, so he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So how do we not be deceived? How do we not be led away with a lie? That's why we spend so much time in God's word with the truth. That's why you don't have the privilege or you don't have the responsibility or the right to take God's word and make it say whatever your emotions in your mind want it to say. 
any more than I have the right to do that with a letter that you send me. I don't have the ability to tell, tell you what your letter says because that's what it means to me. You might have an application for it, but you've got to know a text without a context is a pretext. You've got to know the Word of God in context. When Satan tried to mislead Jesus and the audacity of that, oh, Jesus, come up here on the pinnacle of the temple and jump. And, and, and old Psalm, I think it's 91, says, oh, and if you jump because you're the Savior, because you're one of God's children, he won't even allow you to dash your little toe upon a stone and hurt yourself. Oh, Jesus, oh, okay. No, what'd he say? He said, man, no, you're a freaking liar. <laughs> that's what he said. He said, that's not what the word of God said. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't go to Publix and get on the loudspeaker and drink a gallon of bleach and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to be okay. Don't do that unless God tells you to do it. And he's not telling you to do it, all right? I'm just saying. Do what God wants you to do. Don't go do things and then, and then say, oh, God wanted me to do it. Now it's all going to work out. So Satan misled. He, he, he saw Jesus was fighting with Scripture. So what Jesus whip out, or what did Satan whip out? Scripture. But it was out of context. Don't tempt the Lord your God. I know Scripture. I wrote Scripture. I memorized Scripture as a human. And you know what? What you're saying about Scripture, about me jumping? No, that's tempting God. I'm not doing that. The same way he tried to tempt him with bread. Oh, if you're hungry, make these stones into bread. Well, Jesus was probably hungry, right? Especially after 40 days of hearing it. And he's like, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what I live off of. God's word in context, because the text without a context is a pretext. You do not have the right to make it say anything you want to say. That's how the world deceives us into having these gray areas. You got to have it in context. And you know what the context of Galatians is? The context of Galatians is, is that there were Judaizers. Like it, most of the New Testament books, when you read them in context, there's two groups of people attacking the believers, and they're attacking them with two different thoughts. The Judaizers, which Galatians is about, is about freedom, they're saying, yeah, you need Christ to be saved, but you still have to hold the power. You still have to do Jewish things. You still need to be circumcised. That's why Paul said, you think circumcision is going to save you, bro? They cut the whole thing off. That's what literally Paul said. He literally said that. That's biblical. If you think cutting a little piece of flesh off is going to do you any spiritual good, then cut the whole thing off by all means. And Because the Jews were saying, oh, we got to do the Jewish thing, do this, this. He's like, no, it's Christ plus nothing. Yeah. And then there was another group, especially in Colossians, that he, he went after because this was the other group. So on one end, you have the brand new believers, the first century, second century, you have them, you have them being told, well, wait, wait, you got to keep your Jewish roots, you got to keep doing this. On the other hand, you had the Gnostics, which is, which is knowledge. And those people were saying, oh, man, we have experienced something because we have been enlightened. We know something most of you Orthodox Christians don't know. We have been enlightened with something new, something new that God is doing. I don't care which Old Testament passages you want to take out of context. God's not doing new things. He's not doing anything different than he didn't do. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And what the apostle said is that if you are taught any other gospel, it's from the pit of hell. 
And the Gnostics are like, oh, here's a new thing. That's why I can tell you that this piece of scripture, it doesn't mean what those guys said it meant. It means this. It mean, and again, the Gnostics were like, here, come over to us and we will help you understand this new way to experience Christianity. This new thing, this new, and man, what does Solomon say? If it's new, it ain't true. If it's true, it ain't new. You go back and read in context. Those are the two enemies of the gospel, Gnosticism and Judaism. And specifically here, that's what Paul's dealing with here in, if, uh, uh, in this, in Galatians. He's saying, don't be deceived. God is not going to be mocked. I don't care what these guys are saying, and I don't care what these guys are saying. Read word in context. Listen to what the apostles are telling you. Listen to what they're telling you. No, you did not miss it. No, when you got saved, you got all the Holy Spirit that you could ever get, but he doesn't have all of you. That's what he teaches in this. And everything we're being taught in there, you go read the word of God and he will give you what you need. The same way at this point, they're writing these letters and he's saying, no, don't be deceived. Don't be distracted. In fact, when he began Galatians, what did he even say? How did he even start off to those folks? He said, who in the heck deceived you? Who bewitched you? to think you needed something more than Christ. No, you need Christ. And a spirit-filled life is, what do you want me to do now, God? And do it. And within that context of what do you want me to do and do it, you get to see God work in a mighty, mighty way, do you not? Because when often God says, take a step and do what I want you to do, how many of y'all realize you're not equipped to do it? unless the Holy Spirit of God gives you the equipping to do it. That was part of what we were going to preach on you here next week. How Think of God when he put men and women together, all right? Um, and uh, what's the only way that you're going to have a spirit-filled marriage? What's the only way you're going to get along as a, in a marriage, in a biblical marriage, is if you're spirit-filled. How many of you know men and women are different other than physiology, which a lot of our world doesn't know right now? Just saying. How many of y'all know men and women are different? The way they think, the way they act. Yeah, if you don't know that, you just ain't been living with one. I'm just saying. <clears throat> and I mean that in a good way because, dude, my wife is strong where I'm weak and weak where I'm strong. But by the same token, how many of y'all know God puts opposites together? In addition to men and women, I'll give you a real good men. All right, women, can I have permission so they can raise their hand without getting hurt by you? No, I'm just men don't have to. I know y'all probably got the guts and or the wisdom, but but man, how many times have you been told by your wife or whatever they've told you something and they've told you something and they've told you something and you were listening, but you didn't hear it. Anyone identify with me? <laughs> You haven't been listening. I'm like, I listened, but I heard totally different instructions than what you were than what you were meaning to communicate. Dude, if 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 bees, all those guys, if 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 all these really smart guys are that good, they need to make a Google Translate and they need to put womanese on there. I'm again, but God didn't design it that way. In order for us to be able to understand each other as believers, first of all, we got to be believers. And second of all, we both need to be full of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit of God promises, according to John 14, 26, that I will teach you everything you need to know. And I'm going to tell you what, how many of y'all men know there's things God will not teach you except through your wife? There's things, he, and I don't mean that in a bad way, there's things God will not communicate to me 
except through my wife. And I praise God for that. And so I've got to be spirit-filled, but so does she. And it's like that triangle. Here's me, here's my wife, here's God. The closer we get to each other, man, the closer we, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. Iron sharpens iron, right? Guys, you've heard me talk about it before. You take two swords, Chris. You and Sabrina each have a sword. Wham, wham. Now I'm talking like this is a good thing, right? I mean, wouldn't that be fun to sword fight with your wife? Yeah, dude, you both got broadswords. You're just like, oh, and, and they're watching. What do you think's coming? If they both have swords, what's coming off the swords? Sparks. Sparks is the answer. We'll make them out of some kind of material where sparks will happen, right? Sparks fly. But what happens if all of a sudden, Chris, you've got a sword and Sabrina's got a watermelon? <laughs> you make a mess, right? What happens, if, what happens if you have a watermelon and she's got a sword? You still got a mess. What happens if you both have watermelons? A big mess. So the only way you're going to see sparks fly at the beginning like they flew at the end and they can fly away through the both of you are walking with the Lord and sharing with each other what God is doing. And you're doing that together. If one of you fails to, one of you, man, now you've got, now all of a sudden when they're trying to show you what God's showing you, them in the word and you're telling them and you've got a watermelon, you feel like you're being attacked and you got a mess. And then both y'all quit growing in the Lord. And now you got watermelon. You're like, can you imagine your parents at home fighting with watermelons? <laughs> and who's going to have to clean that mess up? You two are. No, I'm just, yeah, they got a whole bin and they're throwing watermelons at each other. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be sparks, but you got to be walking with the Lord. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What God says is right. It's always right. What if they create a, a TV station like Oh, what was that one? MTV, where their purpose is to change a generation. And they tell everybody, this is wrong and this is right. Does it make it right if it was God said it's wrong? Does it make it wrong if God said it's right? No. I, and again, I'm not making fun of MTV. I'm just saying that was their, their whole uh, motto back, in the, back when I was in college in the 80s. 80s, yeah. To change a generation, to shape a generation. Aren't you glad TV shows aren't for that purpose anymore? News channels, none of them are like that. But what I'm, if the whole world says it's wrong, but God said it's right, what is it? Yeah. And when you have to stand up for it, that's where it gets kind of tough. But yet, the, where's your home again, y'all? Where's your home? Yeah. And what's the only reason he allowed you to stay here is to, what's the G word? Grow. You can't grow unless he puts you in tough situations. And again, that's not just being not able to pay your bills. That tough situation is living out his principles in this wretched world that calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. And people say, that ain't going to work. And in your own heart, you're saying, that ain't going to work. That ain't how it works anymore. We can't. But you give God the chance. Do the right thing. Give God the chance to make it all work. He will make it work. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added to you. Your whole purpose is the green. And when you see something everybody said wasn't going to work and you see it works, what happens to your relationship with God? Does it grow or shrink? It grows. But when you cower <coughs> and it shrinks, and then you go to church and you hear about it, or you read the word and you hear about it, you're like, man, it's just mush. It's gross. It's lethargic. 
But dude, that's why we spend the first half hour, however long it takes, whatever, hearing from God's people as to what he did in your life as you have lived it out, how you have grown because you have done what he asked you to do. And we gave him time to make the results happen. And some of the results we might not see till heaven, but he promises you will then. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added to you. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God said it's wrong, it's wrong. God said it's right, it's right. Period. If you know if you know what you're supposed to do, do it. Don't try to make gray out of the whole thing. I have never preached so long on gray. And that's what that part was. <laughs> Don't make gray. So, all right, here we go with the next part. The D stands for, again, help me out. The W stands for, and the R stands for. And if you happen to have a gray one, call me, and I'll help you figure out which one it really is. All right? You can put gray in the middle there. JJ, can we? Oh, it is up here? Okay, I just don't see it up there. All right? And then so with each decision we make, we reap and sow, right? So there's consequences, correct? There's consequences. Gavin, if I go to the boat ramp and I forget just that one little plug in the back of my boat, it's such a little thing, isn't it? The little plug, Chris, in the back, you make these big Viking beautiful boats. Man, they got plugs. Oh, and they probably have like, you know, diesel powered, like build systems or whatever. But on my boat, I forget that one little thing. What happens? Yeah, I'll never forget one time I backed out into the boat ramp and I had a bunch of whole load of people and I forgot because people were talking to me and all this. And they were like, wow, your bilge pump works really good. And I'm like, why is my bilge pump working? <laughs> it was like, whoa, I had to back it back out, put the plug in. But again, you make a decision, there's going to be consequences, correct? Consequences. You may, and, and, but we look at that and we kind of tend to categorize one type of consequence. And we say, oh, there's the consequence. I think I can do that. Or, ooh, that's the consequence. I'm not going to do it. But I propose to you, according to scripture, there's two kinds of consequences. The S is a short-term consequence. In other words, when you make a decision, there's something that happens right now. And then there's something uh, that is a long-term consequence, something that is going to happen later. You're tired of driving your beater, and, oh, here it is. Okay, Buddy Gig says, if you can't afford gas, go get an electric car. Duh! Why didn't I think of that? So, all right, so, well, because I can't afford an electric car, but I bet I can find an electric car salesman that will sell me an electric car, right? So I'm going to, you know what? I'm tired. My F-150, dude, I was so excited driving to Georgia and back. I got 16.2 miles to the gallon. I have never seen those kind of numbers on my F-150. Usually I'm down around 13 or so. I, I'm, I'm tired of filling up the tank. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, I'm going to trade it in, and I'm going to get me one of them electric cars. It's charged by a diesel generator. <laughs> the, the electric's fired by it. That they're getting there. Anyways, no. I'm going to go get me an electric car, all right? But I can't afford an electric car. But I bet I can find somebody to sell me one on credit, on terms. I bet they can even get my monthly payment close to what I need it to be, which is nothing. <laughs> they can do it. So I go do it. So let me ask a question. For me, with what you know about me, what you know about everything, would it? Oh, and by the way, I don't think this electric car has a trailer hitch either, but we'll work around that. So knowing me, would the, getting an electric car getting rid of my F-150 and getting an electric car, would that be a right decision or a wrong decision? A wrong decision in all ways. But I'm tired of gas. 
you know what I'm doing? I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to buy this electric car, or at least I'm going to like get it off the lot. That's my goal. All right. I'm not making fun of electric cars. I am making fun of electric cars because they don't have it all worked out and whatever. It's not really green. Anyways, that's a whole nother thing. But the point is, as far as a decision for me, it's wrong. I won't be able to tow my boat, tow the trailers. I, I, I won't be able to afford it, but I'll get it off the lot. So the initial consequence of me driving off the lot, not having to buy gas ever again, waving at everybody at the gas station, is the short-term consequence, good or bad. It's good, woohoo! until the first payment comes due. And then I scrape up every, I sell my kids. Well, I have to sell grandkids now, but, but I, I, you know, and I make my payment and I can't third month, I can't make my payment. Who's coming for me? Repo man coming, yeah. And, 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 and now the long-term consequence, is it good or bad? It's bad. And that's what we're going to see is that with every decision, there's a short-term consequence and there's a long-term consequence in this. With every decision, there's a short-term consequence and a long-term consequence. Look what he says in Scripture. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Horticulturist. You're a horticulturist, right? That's not a horticulturist. I got a couple of them over here. What do you grow, man? We like growing. Oh, please don't tell me if it's illegal. No, I'm just like, <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah, you're going to grow cabbage. All right, well, you're going to grow carrots. What do you plant to grow carrots? Okay, yeah, carrot seeds, man, or a little piece of carrots, or Gavin, he's probably, Gavin, what do you like growing, man? You got to grow all kinds of vegetables, right? You're going to grow peas. What do you plant? Peas. Yeah, you plant what you want to grow. If you plant peas and you get carrots, whose fault is that? Is that God's fault? No, you planted the wrong thing because it's guaranteed. That's what this whole illustration that Paul's using here. What uh, You plant watermelon? Hey, dude, you plant watermelon. What are you going to grow? Yeah, so here you got these beautiful watermelons. You're like, I am so mad. I didn't grow petunias. <laughs> it's duh. So he's saying in life, it's the same thing. You, you reap what you sow. Whatever seed you plant, that's what you can expect to harvest. Does that not make sense? Then why doesn't it make sense in our life? Why do we try to spray an herbicide and expect it to act like a fertilizer, which is what Zane was talking about? Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. There's consequences, and there's short-term consequences, and there's long-term consequences. You know why I don't have watermelons? Because I didn't plant watermelon seeds. I, or, or why don't I have petunias? I didn't plant petunia seeds. Why didn't you plant petunia seeds? Because all I could find were watermelons. But I'm hoping I have good intentions. As long as I'm sincere, how many of y'all heard that? As long as I'm sincere, right, right? Okay, let me talk about sincerity. Hey, what's your name, bro? Ryan, are you like from Texas? You're the ones from Texas? Dude. I am totally sincere, Ryan, that if I bash you in the head with this chair, it will not hurt. I'm sincere. How many of y'all are sincere with me that if I bash him in the head, come on, Marley, play with me. Help me out. How many of y'all really believe I bash him in the What if I'm sincere? Does it even matter? Because what's the reality? If I bash you in the head with the chair, what's going to happen? It's going to hurt. Yeah. I'm sincerely wrong. You got to be sincerely right. You got to know God's word. So be not deceived. God's not mocked. God said it's wrong. It's wrong. God said it's right. It's right. Do the right thing. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to grow. That's what you're going to reap. And the word of God tells us what's the right thing. So now the next section. So the D stands for, help me out. The W stands for, 
a wrong decision. The R stands for right decision. The S stands for short-term consequence. The L stands for a, all right, keep that there right there. So, so in that, I'm proposing to you when we make the wrong decision, the short-term consequence is good, but the long-term consequence is bad. I'm going to let this little light shine, baby. I ain't filling up my tank. <laughs> well, what's going to happen? I'm going to run out of gas. What's going to happen? My fuel pump's going to suck all the dirt out of the bottom of my gas tank. I don't have bigger problems than I had to start with, right, Bob? I should at least put some water in there. No, nothing. <laughs> so when we make the wrong decision, it's usually because the short-term consequence is good, but the long-term is bad. Isn't that how the world makes decisions? Hey, Tom, can we crank that air seat up a little bit or down, or is it, is it still going? I know about this time they cut it off and I start sweating, but maybe that's because I'm working. Y'all sweating too? All right, man. Good. All right. So uh, look what he, do I have scripture up there yet? All right. So y'all got that there? Look at this. When we make the wrong decision, short-term consequences are usually good, but the long-term consequences are usually, are, are usually bad. And which one's going to last longer, long-term or short-term? But we, in this beginning, we're like, I'll just do this now. Any of y'all ever done that? I know the right thing. I'm just going to do this now. Then I don't have to worry about it. And then, yeah, it's good at the beginning, but later it catches up. And now, have you ever been bombarded by bad long-term consequences? That's when you change and turn over a new leaf. And that's usually when I get to meet you as a pastor. <laughs> Where were you when you were doing it right? <laughs> oh, you weren't. Okay, I'm just saying, and that's how I met a pastor too. <laughs> Same thing. So man, look at this scripture says, he who sows to the flesh, sowing to the flesh as opposed to the spirit. Is that wrong or right? It's wrong, right? So you sow to the flesh, you're doing what you want to do, which let's say is opposite of what God wants to do the way the scriptures present it. So again, that's a wrong decision. And he says, of the flesh, you will reap corruption. Hey, Kevin, you're a pilot at MFI, and I know Al is excited that you are a pilot. Everybody who flies with you, uh, they're excited that you do maintenance. How often do y'all do maintenance? Every day you do maintenance? Come on, doesn't it get old? No, why? It, what's the purpose of maintenance? Oh, so, I mean, yeah. But what if you skipped a few days? Come on, nobody would know. <laughs> <laughs> unless something went wrong, right? How many of y'all skip your maintenance? How many of y'all like are too tired? You're too this, you're too that to continually do the right thing. And we skip some of the right stuff, right? You know, you, that's that, that word. So let me ask you a question. If you, if you just had to do an emergency go and you didn't do it and you were able to take a flight and you actually made it, right? Is that possibility? If you skip maintenance, it would it be a possibility that you could actually survive? It'd be an emergency, but not in the long term, but in the short run. You could probably survive a flight if you had to do it, right? Okay. Yeah. So that's what this word corruption actually is, comes from the Greek word we get rust from. If you leave your tools out in the rain, Chris, bridge workers, if they leave the tools out in the rain, do they instantly rust that day? But what happened? Just maybe a little bit, and you can clean up. What if they leave them out in the rain for a whole week? What if they leave them? Yeah, I got a pair of channel locks in the back of my truck that you can't open anymore. It didn't start out that way. That's what corruption is. It's little by little by little missing that maintenance 
So when you make the wrong decision, the short-term consequence is good. I didn't have to pick up my tools. I didn't have to do maintenance today. You ever get tired of maintenance? You never get tired of maintenance. You don't ever have a bad day where you got Corona 96 or something, and you're like, I don't want to do maintenance. Today. I just want to fly. Just say, no. Any of y'all ever get tired of maintenance? Chris, you, you got tons of tools. You ever get tired of cleaning up and putting everything back? Yeah, what if you just left it that way? And you left it that way. Would your productivity suffer? Yes. That's what he's saying. You sow to the flesh. You make the wrong decision. You reap corruption. It may not mess up that day, but it's going to mess up. That's why our society, when they've destroyed the family, which we will get into in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see how different God's plan for the family is than what we're living right now, even in the church. And we wonder why our society is the way it is when we've destroyed the smallest unit of success. He said, man, he who sows the flesh will reap corruption. All right, so last but not least, let's take a look at this. The D stands for, help me out, W, Chuck. Chuck, what does W stand for? Wrong decision. And R stands for? Watch this, Marley. S stands for short-term consequences. L stands for long-term consequences. And boy, we could have all kinds of illustrations with you teaching Marley how to shape surfboards and make them, right? Can you see some illustrations with fiberglass, mixing fiberglass? And, oh, we just mix fiberglass, but it's lunchtime. <laughs> Let's go eat lunch and come back and use that fiberglass later, right, Marley? No, it messes it up. So in that, the R stands for right decision. When you make the right decision, the short-term consequence often is what? Bad. But according to Matthew 6.33, that says you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be in uh seek keep first the kingdom of righteousness and and help me out. And and all these things will be added to you. Yes, thank you. And uh man, the long-term consequence will be good. You do what God wants you to do. And so again, uh check that out. So when we make the right decision, short-term consequences are usually bad. Guess what? I'm not going to go get an electric car. I think I talked myself out of it today. Thank you for helping me. <laughs> or tomorrow. Instead, I'm going to fill my gas tank back up again. So short-term consequence, when I put $114 in for 22 gallons, of oh, that was last week. Who knows what it is today? <laughs> that was three days ago. Who knows what it is? Man, is a short-term consequence good or bad, Matthew? Yeah, when I have to fill my gas tank up and I have to pay all that money. Uh, actually, it's pretty bad because, <laughs> yeah, it was worth it, but when it cost me that much. But the long-term consequence is good because I live 24 miles from here and I'm not going to have to call one of you to come tow me home. <laughs> like Bob's like, oh, phew, good, because I'd be the first one on his list. <laughs> and you have a little BMW. <laughs> Imagine that pulling the F-150 back. So look, man, here's the scripture that backs that up. Look at this. When we sow to the flesh, when, when, when he who sows, uh, for he who sows to his flesh uh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit, which is what God wants you to do in this corrupt world where they've made wrong, right, and right, wrong. When you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap what kind of life? Everlasting. So does that look more like a future thing or a immediate thing? It, it does definitely reach way into the future. So we know that the long term is there. 
But guess what? Sometimes, man, a lot of times you do the right thing, there's not going to be bad consequences. But I will say this, that when we make decisions based on what we think are going to be consequences, often we make the wrong decision, thinking about what's right right now instead of what God wants us to do. Sometimes, how many of y'all would say it's hard to do what God wants me to do in this world sometimes? To do the right thing. Uh, Mary, you're an accountant, right? Anybody ever want you to cheat? Bend things, twist things? You don't have to say that. I already know the answer is true. <laughs> in any profession, man, it's like, how about paying your taxes? How about, how about something in your shopping cart? How about whatever the right or wrong thing is? Sometimes it's hard. I mean, I got to walk all the way back in there to do this. It gave me too much, whatever. If you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. There's guaranteed long-term good consequences, but they may not be good right off the bat. So again, check this out. Here you are making wrong decisions, all right? Wrong decisions because it's good now. It's good now. It's good now. All of a sudden, the long-term consequence is bad. You got corruption. Everything's messed up. All right, so what happens now? You want to turn over a new leaf, correct? Anybody here ever turn over a new leaf because life just got unbearable? Anybody done that? Yeah. So we now start making the right decision. We, we don't immediately lose the bad term long consequences, do we? But all of a sudden make the right decision. What do we start experiencing in the short term? Bad short-term consequences. That, my friend, is the toughest time to live because you can't catch a break anywhere when you turn over that new leaf, you think. But that's where you gotta trust God's word. Look what he says. Well, um, here's my outline. The toughest time in life is when we decide to make the right decision after making a bunch of wrong decisions. But hang in there, look at the scripture. Let us not grow what? While doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You gotta let all the weeds you planted, all the junk you planted, you gotta let it go. You got to let, let it grow out. You got to get, get it destroyed. You got to get out. And, and then you will eventually get back to the results of good decisions. So check this out. My psychic friend, <laughs> do you really truly know what the consequences will be of each decision? Yeah, pretty good idea. But do you really know? Have you ever been surprised that you thought, dude, if I do this, it's going to be messed up. And then it's like, oh, that's okay. Or you did the wrong thing and you're like, oh dude. And then all of a sudden you got away with it. I'm not saying you, but you've seen people do that, right? So do we really know what the consequences are going to be? No, we don't always know that. But we got a pretty good idea, even according to scripture, of how it's going to work out. But what do we know? We know what's right and we know what's wrong. Do we not? And so if we make right and based decisions, our decisions on right and wrong, it's a no fool way of doing things. That's how we need to make our decisions. Because God promises that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything you need will be worked out. You'll get everything you need. Everything You, you will be living by faith. You will be pleasing him. And you will be fulfilling your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to show people what the right decisions are. So you can show them who a powerful and mighty, what a powerful and mighty God looks like in your life. Man, Chuck, you got a water fountain. Dude, let's say you go at the beach. We had a water fountain, which by the way, remember that little water fountain we used to have up front? I told Ashley when she was little, I said, that's a dog fountain. And so for years, she wouldn't drink out of it. 
And finally, when she's like 35, no, she was like, <laughs> she's not that old now. Finally, I said, Ashley, that's not a dog fountain. Oh, you talk. She trusted me. But you get a water, you go to a water fountain and you drink out of a water fountain or a spigot, man. You turn a spigot on and you get that water. What would happen if all of a sudden you got sludge and muck out of that water spigot? You would be disappointed, right? Well, so would you use it again? Yeah, and if you had to, you would let it run. You wouldn't trust it quite as much. That's us when we make a wrong decision. We're a spigot. Remember how we started Ephesians? We're a spigot. We're connected to, to God. All He's blessed us with all heavenly blessings. Through Christ, we have a hose, which is the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he connects us to God. And we're a spigot that we're supposed to be spouting out all these heavenly blessings on people. But if one day, if you're, spout, if you're squirting down people to shower at the beach, you're like, oh, this is refreshing. One day, all of a sudden, poop water from a septic tank comes out. That's not refreshing, is it? And the next time, you're going to let somebody else go first this time, right? Here, you wash off your surfboard here, you know? So, so again, it, 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 that's why it's so important to live out what we're supposed to be living out. That's why we make the right decisions, because people are watching. And God has chosen to leave us here to be used by him. So where's your home, my friend? Heaven. And it's because of who? Christ. And your home is guaranteed. There's, he loves you perfectly, so can you ever lose it? No. His love for you is perfect. He's covered your sin and taken it away. He's left you here to grow more in love with him. That's why we make decisions based on right and wrong instead of trying to figure out the consequences. But logically. I want you to understand we make a lot of deci bad decisions because it seems to be good right now. Let's pray. Father, um, we know the greatest decision we have to make in life is um, when you give us the desire and ability to surrender our life to you. Um, the world fights that decision harder than anything. The world would love to not only have us right now, but have us for eternity. And so often, Father, when you've given us the desire to surrender everything we know about ourselves to everything we know about you, we fight that decision because it takes faith. And we don't have all the answers. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know all the little details. But Father, through faith, if there's somebody fighting that decision today where they know they need to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you, Father, give them the faith that they can't refuse to just trust that you are a loving wonderful, awesome, almighty, all-powerful, all-present God. And you are not only behind them, but in the present with them, and you're in front of them. And give them the ability to believe that even though they don't know what's next, you do. And give them the ability to believe that what's next is a life of peace and joy, internal stuff that nobody can take away stuff they can have by following you, and that they have a home in heaven one day. So Father, I pray if there's somebody here wrestling with that decision, pray they would not make the wrong decision to say, nope, I'm keeping control of my life. It hasn't been that great now, but it's better because I don't know what's in the future if I give it to God. Father, the worst thing would be is in the end, end up in hell when they were that close, because that is the reality of someone who dies without Christ. But Father, I pray that you give them the desire and ability through faith 
to make the right decision, even though right now it may not seem right. Like, I just don't know. I don't know. And I'm a control freak and I don't know what to do next. But Father, give them the ability to just surrender to you. And Father, you start working out of their life. Give them peace that passes all understanding and give them the assurance to know that next is seven-year honeymoon, then a thousand years with a perfect body on a perfect planet, and then an eternity in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. And all of that is way bigger and better than anything this Egypt has to offer here. Father, I pray for those of us that are believers. I pray, Father, that we would help people see life from God's perspective by even using this. When people confront us with decisions they're making and Father, uh, you would let us know when you want us to share this with others. But more importantly, Father, I pray we would implement it in our own life. We would not get suckered by this world through our flesh and make bad decisions because it seems to be good now. Father, I pray we would just make decisions based on right and wrong and live for you. Let you work it out knowing that we will be richly rewarded one day, if not even here for doing what you want us to do. But again, even more importantly, it pushes us closer together with you. Father, I pray that through this passage of scripture, through decisions we make, as we do the right thing, we would fall more in love with you um, so we could fall more in love with each other and serve the purpose for which we were left here. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.